Hello and welcome to this edition of the Frontline Gastroenterology Podcast, where we meet with authors of interesting and thought-provoking articles published in the journal that we think will practically help listeners improve their clinical practice. My name is James Morris and today I'm delighted uh, to be with Dr. Vincent Chung, research fellow at the John Radcliffe Hospital and author of a fascinating article recently published by the journal on checkpoint inhibitor hepatitis, an emerging field with the rise of these immune therapies for cancer. Vinny, thanks very much for joining us. Now, can you begin by just giving us some background on checkpoint inhibitors, which seem to have created such a stir in the oncology world? Yes, uh, thanks, James, for inviting me on this podcast. So checkpoint inhibitors are monoclonal antibody um, cancer drugs that basically inhibit the immune regulatory checkpoint protein receptors uh, in our body, notably CTLA-4 and PD-1. And they do so by activating the body's own immune system to fight cancer cells. Um, however, because they activate cytotoxic T cells um, to kill the cancer cells, they have unwanted immune-related adverse events that can basically affect any organ system in the body, most commonly the skin, and probably most seriously the gastrointestinal tract um, and uh, endocrine systems as well. But they, they basically kind of you know, cause... Um, all manners of, of trouble. So we, I mean, we've certainly seen in the um, oncology clinics here, neurological side effects and uh, and other sinister side effects as well. Um, they've been licensed since about 2011 for an increasing variety of tumours, including melanoma, um, renal cell cancer, and non-small cell cancer and lung cancer are the main um, uh, indications. But there's a growing list of um, other cancers that are being uh, treated now, such as head and neck cancers, hepatocellular uh, carcinoma. But the headline is that um, they basically revolutionized the way melanoma is being treated. So what was previously uh, a five-year survival, five to 10%, it's now closer to sort of 50% for patients treated with PD-1 inhibitors and also combination um, immunotherapy. I mean, it really is remarkable uh, what's been achieved in this area of oncology and incredibly exciting um, for patients, as you said, who previously had a, a dismal prognosis. Um, as you also alluded to that this comes with new side effects and your paper focuses on the liver related side effects related to checkpoint inhibitors. So can you just describe uh, briefly what those liver related side effects are that you're seeing in the clinics at your hospital? So checkpoint um, hepatitis happens um, probably in about anything with 17% of um, patients on immunotherapy. And it's certainly higher with patients on combination um, ipilimumab and nivolumab versus um, patients on anti-PD-1 agents alone or um, historically anti-CTLA-4 therapy, so ipilimumab. So we basically use the National Cancer Institute's CTCAE um, grading, so that's common terminology criteria for adverse events, to grade liver injury according to um, rises in ALT, AST, bilirubin, and ALP. I think when the checkpoint inhibitors first came out, people thought that the main cellular target of immune-mediated damage was the hepatocyte, and we saw, certainly saw, and that was in keeping with the observation that patients had rises in AST and ALT um, most significantly. But I think there's a growing evidence uh, in the literature that's probably not quite as simple as that, and certainly we've seen lots of patients with ductular injury presenting with jaundice and polystatic LFTs as well. So none of the subjects in your study were biopsied, but do we know of any specific 
um, histopathological features related to a checkpoint inhibitor hepatitis? And does liver biopsy help in either the diagnosis or prognostication of these patients? Yeah, so um, that's a good question. And um, the cohort that we described was um, our sort of first 20 or so um, patients. And the management was based on, you know, taking a good um, history, ruling out other causes of hepatitis. And actually, we managed to um, manage the patients without liver biopsy. And as you well know, liver biopsy is not without risks. There's certainly a, a school of thought that liver biopsy is important in diagnosing and assessing the severity of liver damage. And certainly the French group published in the Journal of Hepatology, their report of 16 patients, they argued that it was important to assess liver pathology to avoid unnecessary use of steroids. I mean, our, our counter argument to that would be that most patients do respond to steroids. Um, and, you know, if we use the steroids bearing uh, immunosuppressants early with the steroids, most patients tended to um, get better. And, and, and we avoided liver biopsy in those patients. So, so with that in mind, and, and you think of steroids being the, the mainstay of treatment, what are the sort of current standards of care for, for treating checkpoint inhibitor hepatitis um, as stipulated in perhaps some of the guidelines you've mentioned? Yeah, so, um, I mean, most of the guidelines are generally similar. There are, you know, guidelines from um, ASCO, um, there are European guidelines from ESMO, and also from Society of Immunotherapy Cancer, so SITSI. They're all basically based on um, the CTCAE grading of immune-related adverse events, and they're based on sort of expert opinion and consensus. So generally, patients with grade one liver injury, so that's an ALT or AST of less than three times greater limits of normal, or a bilirubin of less than 1.5 the upper limit of normal. Patients, we, we tend to monitor with regular blood tests, and in those cases, majority of the patients can continue their immunotherapy, which um, at the end of the day is you know, what the patients and the oncologists are, are most worried about. So ALT, AST above, uh, between three and five times the upper limit of normal, we treat as grade two. In those circumstances, we advise the oncologist to delay certainly the next cycle of immunotherapy, and we do essentially a, a liver screen and ultrasound and liver to rule out you know obstructive causes or viral causes, and then we quite quickly start patients on prednisolone, and they, they generally start on quite high doses. So our practice is start at 60 milligrams daily for a week, and then to taper by five to 10 milligrams per week down to zero. Um, patients with grade three and above or any signs of decompensation, those patients are generally the ones that get admitted for intravenous methylprednisolone. Um, and then we make a, a judgment at day three about whether they can carry on, on on a weaning oral course of steroids or whether we add something like um, mycophenolate mofetil quite early. Okay, so it's a really helpful summary video. Perhaps just moving on, on to your paper specifically uh, published in Frontline Gastro. Um, can you just tell us a bit about the aim of your study and what you're hoping to investigate in it? So given that this was a, you know, a, it's still a relatively new field and the drugs have only been around, um, you know, Ipilimumab I think was FDA approved in 2011. Um, we are still coming um, to terms with, you know, why these side effects um, happen and um, how we treat them best. So our study was mostly to report the incidence features and the treatments used for immunotherapy hepatitis in a real world setting, as opposed to um, the trial setting where most of the evidence lies. 
um, and to identify um, any, you know, to see if there are any useful um, biomarkers which can be used to predict um, effective use of steroids. So can you tell us a bit about the setting of where your study was conducted and where you collected your clinical data and what the um, salient findings were in the paper? So we collected data for over 450 patients um, treated with immunotherapy over a seven-year period um, at the Oxford Cancer and Hematology Centre at the Churchill Hospital. So this is a tertiary oncology centre receiving referrals from Oxford and the surrounding Thames Valley area and indications for immunotherapy in patients were mostly for melanoma and we had some renal cancer and lung cancer patients as well. The main findings of the study are that patients should be treated with steroids you know early. Hepatitis was most common in those patients receiving dual therapy with an instance um, approaching 20% and uh, 75% of the higher grades, so grade three or four hepatitis cases, um, occurred in apolimumab containing regimes. Um, patients mostly responded to steroids and interestingly doses above 60 milligrams of prednisolone did not seem to have an additional benefit and the ALT reduction in steroid response to hepatitis is, is normally quite quick so people normally halve their ALT within about um, 10 or 11 days and rather than increasing steroids we advocate starting additional immunosuppression early um, and certainly that seemed to be a safe strategy in, in our patients. And conventionally, we would worry about using things like infliximab and further derangement in liver function tests. But we managed to use it quite safely in two of our patients who didn't respond to um, steroids and uh, uh, mycophenolate mofetil. So thinking about patients who are perhaps on the more severe end, like you were saying, who you know, even needed infliximab to treat their side effects. Are there any reports in the literature, if not in your study, of patients developing liver failure secondary to checkpoint inhibitors? Yeah, so I think in the early um, uh, ipilimumab, so CTLA-4, which is the sort of older um, agent as opposed to the PD-1 inhibitors, pembrolizumab and nivolumab, in the early phase two trials of um, ipilimumab, there were certain um, cases of fulminant hepatitis, um, and that was reported quite early on. Um, more recently, I think with combination um, immunotherapy, there's certainly patients that are presented with jaundice, grade 2 encephalopathy, get started on intravenous methylprednisolone and MMF, but get sort of worsening synthetic function and encephalopathy and, and get admitted to intensive care. And there are certainly reports of that in the literature um, currently. Um, one of the interesting things is that uh, ACG, so anti-thymocyte globulin, has been used in fulminant hepatitis. I mean, it's just a case report in one of the oncology journals, but it goes to show that there are, you know, a number of treatments that are available now. But overall, uh, reassuringly, it's still a relatively rare side effect. I think you uh, mentioned in your paper 4% of the patients got um, hepatitis as a, a side effect. So thankfully, relatively uncommon and even more uncommon the more severe end. Um, but broadening out a little bit, and you, you don't discuss it in this paper, but I know your uh, research is heavily involved in it, is um, the interesting area of checkpoint inhibitor-related colitis. Um, and I just wonder if you could touch on your experience of that, um, what you're seeing in your clinic, and perhaps how you're structuring your service at the JR to deal with that. So, um, yeah, as you alluded to, um, checkpoint uh, inhibitor colitis is certainly um, more common. So um, in patients having combination um, ipilimumab and nivolumab, 
yeah, you know, rates of colitis are um, up to almost 40% in the literature. And then um, for PD-1 therapy, so pembrolizumab or nivolumab single agent, it's um, roughly up to about 10% or so. So it's certainly more common um, than um, hepatitis. I think one of the deficiencies previously when oncologists were, were first treating checkpoint hepatitis was the relationship with gastroenterology and exactly when to refer for endoscopy. And I think conventionally patients were started on steroids, you know, with symptoms of um, diarrhea and endoscopy was requested, which may or may not be um, done several weeks down the line, which probably didn't help management very much, especially as if patients had already started the steroids, the endoscopy would often and histology would often be normal. So what we've developed at Oxford is a sort of a GI um, liaison service for all immunotherapy related adverse events. And so I uh, go to the melanoma clinic every week to manage um, GI side effects. And we, um, we tend to scope patients within 24, 48 hours. So rather than starting steroids um, straight away, because of the easy access to endoscopy, we scope the patients. And if we see a colitis, we start steroids and then and feedback to the um, oncologists about delaying further immunotherapy. Interesting. And am I right in thinking that the correlation between the severity of diarrhea and the mucosal disease is not um, very clear cut? Yes. So what we do know is that people that have ulcers on endoscopy, um, that is a marker for steroid refractoriness and and needing um, infliximab. So that's been out in the literature for a while. What we've um, done in, in our cohort, so we have a giant database of all the patients that have had immunotherapy, and we've managed to pick out the ones that have colitis, and we've retrospectively looked at our data and collaborated um, with Liverpool to show that inflammatory bowel disease scores, so the UCEIS score that we use here in Oxford and the Mayo score, actually correlate with steroid refractoriness too, so, and your need for infliximab. So actually patients with a higher UCIS score and a higher Mayo score tend to do worse. And we've also um, looked at our patients' um, histology, and we, we show that people with a higher Nancy index of three or four also do worse and require infliximab more than those that have a lower Nancy index. And we're just writing that up currently. So just to begin to wrap up, um, could I just ask you to perhaps tell us what you think are the key clinical and scientific questions um, that need to be addressed in this area in the next few years? So I think certainly um, the assessment of immunotherapy-related adverse events and the, the treatment of it has evolved. And I think patients are being treated quicker now and um, probably more aggressively but appropriately. Um, and you know, often patients that have side effects while they're on combination immunotherapy, um, once the side effect has been treated, they do get to go back onto single-agent PD-1 inhibitors, which is important for the cancer. Um, I think the mechanistic insights is probably the most important thing and probably the, the thing that's um, most deficient in, you know, do we think that this um, immunotherapy related colitis, for example, is similar? We think it's similar to inflammatory bowel disease, but inflammatory bowel disease is, you know, a, a sort of chronic inflammatory bowel disease. And this, you know, strictly is a, a drug related acute reaction but we're certainly seeing patients that are on steroids for many months um, and requiring other immunosuppressants as well so i think if we can understand 
you know, what is driving the colitis and, and whether we can predict it and we can better manage these patients. And um, I just wanted to mention a prospective um, observational study that we're carrying out here in Oxford on checkpoint inhibitor uh, colitis. So we're inviting patients starting on immunotherapy to um, participate in the study and we're collecting blood, gut and um, stool samples pre and post immunotherapy. So we do a scope prior to um, starting immunotherapy and then we collect samples at week um, blood and stool at week three and we collect um, all three samples again between weeks five and seven which is, tends to be the most common time for immunotherapy related colitis and we're trying to see if we can see any signatures that might be driving um, the colitis and whether we can predict whether patients will get it or not and, and also whether they'll respond to steroids or not. Fantastic. Vinny, it's been really great to have you on the podcast and uh, an, an excellent paper. Um, and it's been very informative to hear about what is clearly an emerging uh, field for both luminal gastroenterologists and hepatologists. So thank you for giving us an excellent summary of that and telling us about what you're doing at the John Radcliffe. Um, that brings us to the end of this episode of the Frontline Gastroenterology podcast. And uh, if you've enjoyed it, do read the article in full on the website and do uh, join us next month for our next episode. Goodbye.